Well, we are uh, going to kick off a mini-series, just a two-week mini-series that's today, and two weeks from today, a little mini-series that I've entitled this, God Wants Your Money. <laughs> you like that? <laughs> Most of us hear that statement, we're like, oh, <laughs> oh, I don't like that statement. Some of you are guests today, and a friend invited you, sorry, okay? They didn't know I was talking about money today, so give them a break a little bit on this one today. But uh, maybe if you haven't been around the church, this might be one of the reasons you don't like it, because church is like, oh, they're always asking for money, always talking about money. See, God just wants my money. He just wants, that, wants stuff from me. He wants to take, right? He wants to suck the fun out of my life. <laughs> So why do you think I entitled the series, God Wants Your Money? Because it's true. It just doesn't mean what you think it means. Okay? And so today and two weeks from today, we're going to dig into two different principles. We're going to address this whole idea of money. This is a big deal. Why do I talk about money every year? If you didn't know this, catch on by now. In this month, every year we're going to talk about money. Why? Because it's really important Okay, Jesus talks about money a lot, but also we're about to go into a season where all of us make a lot of stupid decisions. And before we make that, rather than waiting until January, let's talk about it in November and maybe we can avoid some stupid decisions, okay? But we're going to look at what Jesus has to say about money here uh, in a couple uh, messages over this time. And, And my prayer is that God would give us fresh eyes. Like, we need this one. Like, I'm going to need this message again tomorrow. Like, God, give us fresh eyes again to see wealth and money as you desire us to, all right, to speak to us, okay? So if you've got your Bibles, would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 6? Matthew chapter 6, we're just going to read one verse together. Uh, Would you stand with me across the room as we read our primary text here this morning? Nothing sacred about standing. I say it all the time. This is just our tradition to say, God, we value your words over my words. All right, we're going to read one verse, Matthew Chapter 6, verse number 24. This is Jesus speaking, okay? These are his words. He says this. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Father, I pray in a world where we get off on this one, This this can so easily get sideways in our life and in our heart. Lord, I pray that you would tenderly speak your truth to us today. Would you call us to follow you? Would you call us to live as you have asked us to so that we can reap the blessing of your Zoe life that you have promised to every single one of us? Teach us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. amen. You can be seated. You ever have one of those moments in life when you're like, something's off, so, something's not quite right. Uh, this past Monday, I had one of those experiences. Monday, I went into the office, do what I normally do, spend a little time in prayer, go into my office, and I begin working on message. I'm studying. I'm in my office by myself, all right? And so I'm sitting in the office, and a few minutes into the office, all of a sudden, I'm like, something smells in here. And I'm not, I'm not exactly, it smelled like dirty man, Okay. And I'm like, I'm the only man in this office right now. Is it me? Right? So I, like, I pick my shirt up. No, I showered. My shirt smells good. No, no. And I'm sitting there. So I'm like, no, it's, I'm sure it's just something in the air. No big deal. A few minutes later, I'm like, seriously, it smells like dirty man in this room. 
So I did what, you've probably done this before too. No, I still smell good. I took a shower. My shirt is clean. Thank you, Amber. All of the stuff is clean. Okay? So I'm sitting there. I'm working. I'm like, no, no, it's fine. It'll just go away. A few minutes later, it's still, I'm like, seriously, it smells. I'm not exaggerating. I take my jeans. I lean up. I'm sniffing my jeans. Do, do my jeans smell? Like, what smells so bad in here? Okay? Can't figure it out. A few minutes later, I still smell. Then I have this thought. I had a protein shake in the morning, and I have a beard. Is it possible the protein shake was in my mustache and it's stinky on my mustache? I'm not exaggerating. I go to the bathroom. I get hand soap. I'm washing my face off. I'm thinking, whatever. That wasn't it. I'm back in my office. It still stinks. It like what? I'm going crazy in my office. And then all of a sudden, I look up and there's a little cup sitting on the end of my table. I'm not going to say who it was, Tanya Melody. And she handed it to me, and I drank most of it, but at the bottom, there must have been a little remnant. I pick it up, there's a little bit at the bottom. I said, oh my gosh, that's what the thing is. It smelled like a dirty man. I don't know what was in that tea, okay? I walk out of my office like, I figured it out, everyone. I don't smell, right? It was the tea. Something was off. I just couldn't put my finger on it. This happens in our lives, but if we're honest, I think this can be true in our finances as well. When it comes to understanding in our relationship with wealth and money, oftentimes something can be off and we don't really know what it is. We can't really put our finger on it. There are some of you here, let's just be honest, you can never get things figured out financially. When it comes to money, it's constantly a pressure in your life. It's constantly something where you're wrestling. You can't, you're overwhelmed. You're anxious all the time. This is one of those things you just struggle with on a right. You can never seem to get money under control in your home. That's some of your experience. There's some of you where like usually you're okay. Like usually you've got a handle on this whole thing of money. But man, there are moments where like the pressure gets turned up or maybe something difficult happens and you feel the anxiety like never before. You're like, why am I so anxious? Why am I worrying? Man, it's like I don't trust God at all right now. There's these moments where it comes out in you. There's some of you, if you're honest, you've reached your financial goals. Honestly, if you thought about your life when you were younger, you've already exceeded what your financial goals were in your life. But... At the same time, you, you're just not as satisfied as you thought you would be when you got there. And then for some of us, this morning, it's possible that things are off and you don't even know it. You don't even see that your relationship to money is, is off in some way. And so this morning, I believe that wherever you are in your finances or your relationship with money, Jesus has a word for us today. And we're going to dig into just the one verse that we read, but I think in this one verse uh, they're gonna, he's going to give us a, a very, very strong challenge that is so relevant to the world that we live in today, all right? But I want to give us some context. We always got to say what's the context of what we just read so we understand how to see this. Uh, what we just read is a part of a grander message that Jesus gave called the Sermon on the Mount, right? It's Matthew chapter 5 through 7. It's a great message. It's Jesus is teaching what does it look like to live in the kingdom of God? What are the values of the kingdom of God? How do we live this thing out? And he goes really practically through a lot of areas of our life. And then we get into chapter 6 of this message, and he starts kind of talking about the difference between uh, living for eternal blessing versus living for temporal blessing. He starts to draw this picture, okay? And he gives a bunch of examples of that. And then he gets into an area where he talks about what we treasure. He's like, don't treasure stuff here on earth, 
right? Because moths are going to destroy and it's going to rust. It's going to wear out. It's going to fade all those things. Don't invest. Don't treasure this. up. Treasure things in heaven. Store up treasures in heaven, right? Have the right perspective. And then he gets to a little uh, uh, verse that feels a little out of place. He's talking about the eye, and he's talking about healthy and unhealthy eyes, which he's actually talking about generosity versus stinginess. And he's saying, man, you need to have generous eye. Think differently. Have a different way of seeing money. And then we get to the verse that we just read, and Jesus gives us an illustration. It's a very simple picture for us, okay? And so I want to look at it. Verse number 24, Jesus says this, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other, okay? So he's given us a really simple example. I think we can all understand what's going on here, right? We've got one servant, we've got two masters. One servant, two masters. But you have to understand that we're not just talking about a servant just like joyfully serving somebody. No, it's more of like this, hey, you're forced to, more of this idea of a slave where like you don't have a choice in the matter, your job as a servant, as a, this slave, is to, to care for and to do what your master asks of you. And Jesus is saying this, you can't serve two masters that way. If there's two people that are in control, that doesn't work. It's not that it's difficult, it's impossible. It's impossible for two masters to be in control. Because what happens when there's a conflict? If you've got two masters and there's a conflict between what the two masters want... Who gets to decide? The one that ultimately has your heart. Only one of them is going to actually be the one in control. I experienced this a few years ago, back in 2012. How many remember in 2012 when Adrian Peterson ran for over 2,000 yards? Anybody remember that year? Okay, hallelujah. We're getting there. All right, now you know this about me. I'm from Chicago, therefore I'm a Bears fan. Sorry, I'm getting it. There we go. It's good. Getting a witness up here. It's so good, okay? I'm a Bears fan, uh, but Vikings fan, don't worry. We mutually hate and despise the Packers, so it's okay, all right? We're on the same page here. There you go. I'm getting another witness. Okay, so here's, this is what happened. The Packers had already won the division. Boo. Okay, they had already won the division. And it came down to the last games of the year. And my Bears and the Vikings were fighting for the number six playoff seat. Okay? And so I needed the Bears to win and the Vikings to lose so the Bears could go to the playoffs. And so the Bears play the early game and we won. Yes. And so I'm going into that final game. It's the night game. It's the Packers versus the Vikings. And I need the Packers to win that game. But here's what you have to understand. As a Bears fan, there is one rule. You cheer for the Bears and whoever is playing the Packers. Right? That's a rule. You don't got a choice in the matter. Okay? But I go into this game thinking, I got to cheer for the Packers because I need them to beat the Vikings so the Bears can go to the playoffs. And so I start this game. You can do this, Greg. You can do this. I turn the TV on. Here we go. Yeah, go Packers. And about a minute and a half into the game, I'm like, I can't do it. I can't do it. I don't care that the Bears don't get to go to the playoffs. I cheered for the Vikings the whole game, and they won that game, and my Bears were booted out of the playoffs, and I was okay because the Packers lost. That's all that matters. See, at some point in your life, where your allegiance lies will come out. And that's what Jesus is trying to say here. So he paints this picture, right? You can't serve two masters. And then he gives us the point where he says this. You cannot serve both God and money. 
He's not saying that it's difficult. He's saying it's impossible. It's as if there is a competition for your allegiance. There's a competition for your worship. Will you worship God? Or will you worship money? I did arts and crafts this week, guys. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I wasn't going to show you, but it's connected to a ruler. <laughs> really high-end stuff we got going on here, okay? What does it look like when we worship God? What does that mean? When we worship God, like, we submit all things to him. That's what it means to follow Christ. Say, Christ, you are first. God, I give everything you. I submit all things. The way I think, the way I live, everything I value, I submit it to your authority. It comes underneath of you, which means then we trust in his ways. Doesn't matter what I think, but what does God say? How has he spoken? We submit to him in all things. But it also means that we trust his provision. If we're going to trust him, then we say, God, we trust you to be the provider in all things. And so we look to God to be the source. He's the one that we stand on. He's the one that we rely on in every circumstance. We have faith in him as the source. Ultimately, when we get into this posture, what happens? Your money comes under his authority. And rather than leveraging your money for your kingdom, you say, how can I leverage what you have put in my hands for your kingdom. That's what it looks like when God is the one we worship. But what does it look like when we worship money? Well, I think for some of you, when you think about, well, Greg, I'm not like bowing down before a Benjamin. Like, that's not what it looks like for me to worship money. You know, sometimes worshiping money can look like maybe what you would naturally expect. It, it can look like this constant lust and a constant craving for money and for stuff and for more. And I got to have more and I got to have more and I want it. It's all about me. And how can I run after those? It's the constantly scrolling. How can I buy another thing? I just need one more, just one more. How can I get one more house? I can get one more thing. Whatever the thing is, whatever it is for you, just that's okay. But a lot of us, we don't live that way. Maybe that's not what it looks like to worship money, but I think it can look other ways. Sometimes worshiping money can look like envying others for what they have. Because we can get this feeling in our own minds, like, well, why don't I have that? As if God's holding out on us. Like, oh, this would be the answer. If I just had some more of this, then I could have the thing that I deserve, that I want, right? Sometimes worshiping money can be being excessively anxious about the needs that we have. Why? Because rather than looking to God to be the source, we say, if I just had a little more money, then I could, my worries would be gone. We're looking to money to be the source that God said he would be in our lives. That would be the solution, if I just had more. And so worshiping money can, can show itself that way. Sometimes worshiping money simply is choosing disobedience about what God has said about money and choosing to do our own thing anyways. Saying, I don't, I don't care what God says in this area. I'm going to do what I want to do. And we've chosen who's in control at that point in time. Ultimately, when we worship money, we fail to trust God's love. We fail to trust his faithfulness. We fail to trust his provision in our lives. Okay? And so, Jesus is asking this question, who are we going to worship? Who are you going to worship? Who will you serve? 
Now, Scripture gives us lots of other warnings against worshiping money and serving money and going after this. Obviously, we have this passage where Jesus is digging and saying, listen, this is a bad decision here. Do not worship money, okay? It's going to get in conflict with your allegiance to Christ. There's another verse that we see in, in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 where it says this, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. Like, you know this is true, right? Like uh, John Rockefeller, he was asked, how much is enough money? You know what his answer was? A little bit more. He was the wealthiest man on the planet when he said that. He was acknowledging, listen, you're never satisfied. It makes for a really, really unhealthy leader in your life. Paul wrote it this way in 1 Timothy chapter 6 where he says this, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. My, my former pastor used to say this sometimes at funerals. He'd say, listen, they ain't hitching a U-Haul trailer to the hearse back there, okay? Like you ain't taking nothing with you, right? It's just you, Okay. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. He's given a warning here, right? The world would say, no, 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 go after all the stuff. Seek more of that for yourself. It's good for you. And he's saying, listen, if you're seeking it for you, it's going to destroy you, actually. It's going to kill you. He goes on in verse number 10 where he says this, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Hear this. Money isn't the issue. It's just a tool. Money is a thing. It is neither good nor bad in and of itself. It's how we relate to money that matters. It's how we relate. Look what it says. The love is the root of all kinds of evil. It's not money itself. Because guess what? Money can be a good thing. It can be a good thing. If you have your, your life ordered properly, right? And you have submitted all things to God's authority. Guess what? And your money is under his authority. Guess what? Make as much money as you can and use it to build the kingdom of God. Invest in eternal things that matter. Like leverage what God has gifted you because God has gifted some of you that way. I got a buddy here at the church. God has gifted him with the ability to make money. But he is desiring to serve Jesus with everything that he's got. So you know what he says? He's like, I feel like God has given me the ability and the opportunity to be, to be a part of being the provision for the vision God gives our leaders. Like I'm like, Praise the Lord. <laughs> we need money to do things. That's a good thing, all right? And so money in and of itself is not a bad thing. There's some of you, God has gifted the ability to make money. And I'm believing, I'm praying that next Sunday when we take a kingdom offering, some of you are gonna operate with levels of generosity that you have never operated with before. Because you're gonna say, God, it's not about me. It's how can I leverage what you have given me for the sake of the kingdom of God, Okay? Money can be used for good, but it's a bad master. It will kill you, literally. It will destroy you. I've met people that don't have any money at all, but they still worship money. <laughs> and they're looking to money to be the answer to all their problems. If I just had some more money, if I just had money, then I wouldn't have to worry, then I wouldn't have any of these problems. I wouldn't have just, I just, 
Listen, that, that can still be a disordered affection. We can still get to a place where who are we looking to be the source? Which one do we think? If we had God and no money, or we had all the money in the world and no God, which one would we rather have? I don't, if we were honest, I don't think a lot of us would like our answer in that one. If you go on in the passage in Timothy that, that Paul spoke, he gave this warning in verse number 17. He says, command those who are rich, which P.S., we're all rich. We're all like in the top 1% in the history of mankind. Even if we think we're poor, we are like the richest humans who have ever lived. Even when we don't feel that way. And I'm not belittling some of you that, that are in a tough spot. I'm not at all. But sometimes we just have to be reminded of some things. Need some perspective shifts a little bit. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. <laughs> We've all known people that got money and then something happens and they ain't got no money no more. <laughs> something goes sideways. It is not a firm foundation, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Jesus said it this way in Mark chapter 4. He talks about the deceitfulness of wealth. Wealth, it's this deception, this idea that, man, if you just had more of this, then it'll solve all of your issues. It's not going to solve your issues. You bring your problems, you just be richer and still have problems. Okay? So it doesn't make a master. Money and wealth wants to master you, but it makes a really, really bad master. So with the time that we have left, I want to get to our big so what, and then I want to address it in two separate ways, okay? We always say, so what, what's the point of this thing? If there's a takeaway for today, it's this. Does God have your money, or does money have you? I don't want to talk just like ethereally about just money out there. No, does God have your money, or does money have you? God does want your money. That's why I labeled this series what I did. God wants your money. But it's not about the money. It's about who's in charge. Is God in charge of your life? Because if you say God is in charge, but he doesn't have your money, then he's not really in charge. That's just a cute thing that you say. Okay? Does God have your money, or does money and stuff and wealth have you? Now, for some of us, our money has us, and it's purely a practical issue. It's like purely a practical issue. You're just wrapped up because you're so out of whack financially, you can't seem to ever get things under control. I'm going to invite a friend of mine up to here. Todd, would you join me up here on the stage? I uh, just want to connect on this because I think sometimes this money having us is very, very practical. We've got issues. We can't seem to get a handle on money. And I, I know because regularly I have people talking to me like, I'm struggling with money. I can't seem to get things under control. And uh, Todd has a lot of experience, has like 40 years of banking experience. And we've had an opportunity to work together, actually working together on a project, writing a book together, uh, relating to finances and, and how we manage stuff like this. Uh, but there's a couple things that, that Todd likes to think about. And the first question has to do with like, where are you getting your advice from, right? Yeah, yeah uh, I get my advice where many people get right? There's a lot of things that influence your finances. Maybe your parents taught you something. You got a family or a friend who's in the industry. I'm not much of a do-it-yourselfer. It's just not personalized <laughs> to me, and so I have a financial advisor. Um, but the reality is uh, most people um, look to worldly advice for their finances, and the results show it. Uh, 
In this country, 75%, three out of every four people, live paycheck to paycheck, have little to no savings, and are burdened with debt. Now, when I work with people, I often ask the question, you consider God your financial advisor? And there's just this healthy pause, right? <laughs> like, never thought of that. Um, the reality is God wants you to have a healthy relationship with money. He, he really does. And, uh, and that's why the Bible, in, in the Bible, there's over 2,500 verses about money and, and possessions in, in the Bible. Um, I consider God my primary financial advisor. I use his truth. I use his word as a, a test for the worldly advice that I get. Yeah, that's good. It's good. So it's great. You can get advice, but you got to do something with it, right? And so we talk a lot about you got to have some way of managing, some way, some framework to think about to be able to relate to your money in a healthy way and practically speaking. That's good. That's good. You know, our, our financial health isn't unlike our physical health. Yeah. Right? We all know how to live uh, a healthy life. you got to eat right and exercise, right? And it sounds so simple, but it's so hard to do, right? Yeah. And if you had a plan around your, your healthy life, you would uh, include in that plan would be things like you would eat less calories than you'd burn, right? You'd have a balance of healthy carbs, healthy fats, healthy proteins. You'd avoid certain food, right? Like um, you know, processed food or sugar. You would have a routine of you know, uh, cardio and, and resistance training. Your finances need a plan too. We call it a framework. Yep. We actually teach this. In the financial purpose workshop, we need to introduce you to the four fundamentals God teaches about money, right? And simply they are spend less than you make, save with purpose, beware of debt, and above all, give cheerfully. Sounds simple and easy to do, right? <laughs> Super simple. Yeah. With over 40 years of banking experience in the workshop, I will teach you how to design and live within your framework. And the beauty of the framework is it's designed to honor God's wisdom. Yeah. Yeah. The... Uh it was two years ago that I met Todd and started hearing him talk about this, and we were having some discussion about this, and immediately before we did anything with it here, I converted the way that we operate our finances at home using the same framework, and it's just made things so much more peaceful in our home. It's made it more easier to understand, to, to deal with money, to manage money within our home in a much healthier way, and uh, we've done this workshop, you know, two, three times already. We've had a couple hundred people that have already gone through this, and I just want to say we are offering this workshop in two weeks from yesterday on February, or on November 18th. We're offering this workshop from 9 until 11. Uh, it's a great opportunity. And so if there are some of you that practically you're in a place where you struggle financially, you just can't seem to get it under control, or maybe between you and your spouse, you're constantly fighting against things, this will be something to attend together because I think it can help you. It would breathe health into your relationship, into your family, all right? Can you give it up for Todd real quick? Thanks, Todd. Awesome. Well, some of you, it's a practical issue. Money has you, and it's practically speaking. It's got you. But for, for many of us, the issue is deeply spiritual. It's deeply spiritual. Because if we're totally honest with ourselves, we look to money to be our security. We look to money to provide hope in our lives. We look to money to be our sense of peace. We trust in our wealth. When we have it, we feel really, really good. We feel, oh, I'm un I have nothing to worry about. I'm in control. Like, this is great. But when we don't have it, what happens? It's anxiety. It feels suffocating. 
feels overwhelming for you. Jesus is saying this. You're going to worship once. You're gonna look to one to be your source. You're gonna look to one to be the answer, to be the one you rely on, the one you lean on. And he's simply inviting you to say, would you choose me? Would you choose to worship me? Would you choose to depend on me to allow me to be your source? Like to get, it's a whole new way of living. I get it. It's a different paradigm than the world because the world is saying, no, no, run after the stuff. That's where your hope is. And he's saying, nope, that's not your hope. You might even live it up and you might have a great life here, but it will not result in eternal blessing in your life. He said, look to me. Would you trust in me? Would you lean on me? See, the gospel, we talk about all the time. The gospel, yeah, Jesus gave his life for us that he could save us, right? But it's more than just saving us. He's inviting us into his kingdom, into his way of doing things. And he said, listen, if you will follow my way, that's what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. Would you live a different way? Because as you live this way, you'll experience the Zoe life, not just eternally in the future, but right now. You'll experience his peace and his blessing in your life right now. It's an invitation. Would you come follow me? This isn't God wants my money and it's going to be horrible. No, God wants your money because he wants your heart. Because he knows when he has your heart, guess what? Then he can really move in your life. It's an invitation to something better. There is no money on this earth that loves you, that cares for you, that wants to meet you personally. No money in the world that acts that way. But I want you to hear what Jesus says to you. Just a very next verse in Matthew chapter 6, beginning of verse 25. Jesus says this, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they are? Why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? See, our Father in heaven is not inviting us into something that will kill us. He's inviting us into an intimate relationship where he says, I want to be your source. I want to be the one you look to. Quit looking to money to meet the needs that I was created for you. So I don't know where you're at. If you're like me, you can see in your life, oh man, there's still some places where I'm looking to money to be my source. I think today is an opportunity for us to reorient our hearts a little bit. Say, God, God, I want to I want to look back to you. I've been trusting in my money more than you. And I want to submit to you. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes across the room? Father, we thank you so much that you tenderly meet us where we are. You meet us where we are. God, we admit that whether or not we've ever gotten this right, we can still get off course. <laughs> we can still look to the wrong things. 
And so acknowledge today, Father, that, that our hearts sometimes can be divided. But God, we want to respond to what you have asked of us. We want to lay down our allegiances to money, to stuff, and to wealth. Instead, God, we want to turn to you. We want to submit our hearts to you. God, I pray right now for the person who is in the room and they're having a hard time listening to me right now because they are struggling financially. They're feeling like, I don't feel like God's taking care of me. God, I pray, Father, that you would remind them of your deep love for them. God, as they stay connected to you, God, that they can trust in faith, they can trust you to be Jehovah Jireh, their provider in every circumstance. God, I'm asking even this morning to release miracles, financial miracles for those who desperately need it. But God, I also know that there are so many in this room that have walked through the valley and seen you provide over and over again. God, you're not making everybody a millionaire, but you have provided what was needed every time. God, I look at my own life and I can see story after story after story of the times where you came through, where you've provided, where you've given us what we needed, Lord. And I thank you for that, God. And Lord, I pray every one of us would learn more and more what does it mean to trust you? What does it mean to look to you? What does it mean to rely on you, Jesus? Thank you.